From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 161 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling and I am joined by my co-host, producer, Good friend who held down the fort for the last few weeks, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing okay, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, as, as well as well as can be expected. Thank you so much for, you know, making the show happen during the time I was on my medical leave. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. So I mean, I was right along with everyone else hoping that we weren't going to have to dip back in the archives last week. But uh, luckily, it was, uh, you know, with with all of the archive shows we were pulling from uh, the, the, your first round of surgeries and such, we had kind of a nice ending to the story arc with uh, that first round. And then then this past week, getting to hear about the the World's Fair, that was kind of like a nice standalone episode. So I feel mm-hmm. like it all uh, it all it all flowed really nicely. And uh, but we're we're all happy that you're back now this week, and and that we can get back to the fun. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to thank everybody who sent their prayers and good wishes and and pixie dust. Um, as always, it seems to be with me in everything I do. There's always a story. So, you know, they told me I'd be in the hospital for one to three days. Of course, I was there for a week. Uh, they discharged me and, you know, I didn't feel quite right. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I, you know, I, I felt worse than I did after the second surgery they did. And, um, and then the next day I, I discovered why I was bleeding internally and I saw, very obvious signs of it. So I called the paramedics and then I was in the hospital for another week until they controlled that. And then um, my right arm started swelling up and I was losing mobility in it, except my hand worked fine. So they did an ultrasound. And of course, from all the IVs I've had, I've developed um, some deep blood clots in my upper arm and neck and then smaller ones throughout my arm. So I'm on blood thinners. But they were worried the blood thinners would restart the internal bleeding. So they wanted to put me back in the hospital for monitoring. I said, no, I am not going back. And because I had to start work, you know, that Monday and all that. So um, we set up a very elaborate home monitoring uh, system until I was sort of over the like four days where my, if anything is going to happen, it's going to happen in those four days. Luckily that didn't happen. So, um, so I'm sort of out of the woods now because they said my body's metabolized the blood thinner. So let's hope now, knock on wood, that I'm now going to have a long time to heal and it's going to be a long time before I'm back in the hospital. So yeah, anyway, hopefully. Yes. Fingers yes. crossed for you. Yeah. So hopefully we won't have to dip into the archives for a long time. So, 
Now, you know, we were talking about, you know, how Mulan kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And now Disney is actually releasing it to Disney Plus for $29.99. What do you think of this, Craig? It's an interesting strategy for sure. I I think it's it's fair. I think it's a definitely a fair price considering like a lot of the other uh, a lot of the other studios that have been releasing stuff. It's been for a rental rate for 29 or $20, sorry, not $29, but $20 and then that's gone after 48 hours where this is 29.99 and as long as you keep your Disney Plus subscription it will be completely unlocked so i i think i think it's actually fair so it just comes down to whether or not you you care enough about Mulan to to jump in at the price so i mm-hmm. for me i'm looking at it on paper and saying probably not however if the weekend it comes out, you know, it's a it's a rainy, disgusting weekend and I have nothing better to do, then it's possible. Yeah, I you know, I, I live alone with three cats. They they probably won't be too interested, but you know, I'm gonna do it just because, you know, I'm my doctor says I can't go into social gatherings because my immune system is just shot at this mm-hmm. point. And um and the theaters aren't reopening yet in california as of this recording so i thought you know and probably like when my daughter comes to visit we'll watch it probably have you know as friends visit you know they sort of visit one at a time they want to see it like i had you know friend come over to watch hamilton um so you know for me i'm gonna do it i've been excited about this film even though i don't care for the remakes but this looks really good and i can make my own popcorn and my own snack, so I'll save money there. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so so I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it in a few weeks. And and for a family, I think this is a great deal. Yeah. So it's uh, a thousand percent a great deal if you're a family of four versus what it would have cost for all the tickets for everyone showing up and then snacks and everything along with it. Uh, you know, and it, it's it's us that. Have one or two people at home. That's when you have to really start start thinking about it and, and prioritizing. And you know, if if Mulan was more of an important story to me, I, I think I would be all in right away. But uh, part of me too, I, I was excited to see Mulan in theaters because I have a you know I, I have a feeling it's one of those ones that eventually one day I'll want to see on the big screen that it mm-hmm. they really took that effort extra effort to make it a a true spectacle so uh you know maybe maybe I'll just keep holding out until one day when when I do yeah. get back to a theater as well too but we'll see and I want to see it too because you know I went on that China Adventures by Disney um you know exclusive trip with you know Dreams Unlimited travel Mm-hmm. And so I'm always interested in in now watching anything about China just to see have have I been there like it was so much fun you know I went on the London Paris exclusive adventures by Disney trip with Dreams Unlimited Travel which was both of those trips were amazing and um when my daughter was here you know with me cause, uh, you know for the week I was for a week as I recovered, we decided to watch the whole Harry Potter series and on HBO Max. And it was so much fun because I could tell her, I was there. I was there. 
I was there. Now they use that's not they use St. Pancras Station for King's Cross in this film. And anyway, uh, so I felt very smug, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I annoyed her to no end. So anyway, so yeah, I, I'm going to sign up for it. But. Okay, Muppets. What do you think of the Disney Plus Muppets Now series? I like Muppets Now. So it's not it, it's not uh, sticking with me as much as the the Muppets the last Muppets TV series did. But I, I think it's just because right now, like you can tell that they recorded a bunch of the same segments over and over again. Like you know, it's they've clearly it's been three episodes in now as of the time we're recording this and each one has had a cooking with the Swedish chef and those have been Mm -hmm. the standout in my opinion they've been all hilarious Uh, they've had a Miss Piggy doing her pigsty you'll I think her thing goes way too long yes I agree with that and so they that one hasn't been hitting with me Uh, Pepe the King Prawn, I believe he's had two segments now out of three. And it's it's funny, but I feel like that is going to start getting repetitive uh in terms of in terms of the style of that one. So it's uh I, I think I think it's better to have this version of the Muppets than have no versions at all. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it, it's it's fun, but you know it's not by any means on the level of their movies or anything. But it's still it's entertaining. Or not, or not even the Muppet Show. The fir- I saw the first episode and disliked it immensely, and then I watched the second episode and thought, okay, this is better. But for, but the second episode, where was Kermit? I mean, you know, I, I don't know where he's he is. He had like a five second segment with the legal weasel and um and his voice is off and that really bothers me um it's not quite right for me yeah it's i it's the main thing i talk to people about and it's i the funny part is i think in yeah i think in another 10 years once people have had longer to they've had more time to ingest matt vogel's kermit the frog i think then it's going to be that that realm where you listen back to steve whitmire and it's hard to listen to his because it's so his matt vogels is definitely closer to jim henson but we had steve we had steve whitmire doing it for so long and his kermit was just so distinct and warmer and friendlier and I feel like he even cleaned up a lot of the different and weird inflections that Kermit the Frog did. And it's so it's hard to go back to more, uh, a more, I want to say muted, maybe is the best way to say it. He doesn't, he definitely doesn't give it the same energy and enthusiasm that Steve Whitmire did. But I, I think it, it, people will start getting used to it. It doesn't help that, that he took over the voice and so far he's gotten, web shows a couple of random you know one-off performances on tv and then now this is the first time and even then they're not focusing on him that much but i'm okay with it because i feel like it's giving a lot of the other muppet performers a chance to shine with Mm -hmm. with swedish chef and with uh 
Dr. Bunsen Honeydew and Beaker. And, and even though I do find him annoying at times, Pepe the King Prawn. Like, I, I like that they're starting to bring in more characters than just Kermit, Gonzo, and Fozzie. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's either you can only stretch those characters so far. My, my favorite character has become Miss Piggy's, um, personal assistant or whatever he yeah, is uncle deadly i love him yes <laughs> yeah he I, I love he's so sarcastic um anyway so he's my favorite character i i would like more of him yeah he's hilarious <laughs> yeah okay well i'm i'm gonna stick with it because i agree with you at least they're they're on now they're doing another one where it's some jim henson's doing some space alien interviews people and i thought okay this this is sounds a little strange dumb oh see i'm super excited about this so when when uh, the last time i was in california in october uh we were lucky enough that uh, a friend of ours works on the henson lot and the day that we we got to go visit him they were actually getting done building this set and so we got to see the set as it was being put all together oh, and that's cool. some of the puppetry as it was being put together. And it's, you know, it, we had no idea what we were looking at, but because I don't even think they had announced it at that point, or if they did, they just said that they were working on a, a, a sort of talk show style using, using Henson puppets and, and so once he explained the concept to us that, you know, it's, it's aliens hosting the talk show. So the only way to get the performers there is by, by transporting them in. Then it was like, it, it started clicking more. And so maybe I just have the, the nostalgia for it because I got to, to see the set as it was being all put together. And, and, you know, it, it could go either way, but I'm definitely excited to see it see it brought to life since i got to see it in its first stages yeah i'm sure i'll watch the first episode and see um yeah like that um lower decks star trek lower decks i couldn't even get through the first episode and so i'm not a fan Mm -hmm. of that one anyway i wanted to remind you once again uh story time with michael we're bringing it back in a new format thanks to an idea from listener sean we're very excited that two artists have already reached out to us. So our, our plan is that rather than reading the, you know, like the Disney version of the books and all that, we've gone to, to the Project Gutenberg site. And maybe, Craig, you could put a link to it in our show notes. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and there there's, uh, are the fairy tales that, you know, Walt used as inspiration for his films, but they're not subject to copyright laws. So I chose Andrew Lang's um, Little Blue Fairy book, fairy tale book, because I had it in my collection. My godmother gave it to me when I was nine years old. And you know what? When you give a book to somebody, go ahead and, and write in the cover page. Because my godmother did, and she passed away shortly after Carol and I became parents. And I treasure that book because she wrote an inscription in it. So don't be afraid to do that because people will treasure that book if you give it to them as a gift. Anyway, uh, so you can download that book as a PDF for free. And, and because I'm taking the, st- the, some of the fairy tales from that. So the fairy tales that we're looking at 
is The Sleeping Beauty in the Wood, Cinderella or the Little Glass Slipper, Hansel and Gretel, Snow White and Rose Red, and The Brave Little Tailor. And if there's one that you are really interested in, when you take when you download the stories, Andrew Lang's um, you know, Blue Fairy book, and you say, okay, I really want to do Hansel and Gretel, uh, let us know. And Craig, how you know, so just so that we can sort of let folks know, okay, this one's been taken in case there's other artists out there who are interested. Craig, how how can artists get in touch with us if they're interested? Go ahead and uh, email us uh, together, if you could, please. Michael at WDWinfo.com and Craig at WDWinfo.com and... You know, reach out to us and start the conversation and then we'll get back to you, kind of go over what stories that we're still looking at doing. And, uh, on top of that too, we can start going over the details of, of what, what your style is, how we can get it into the format that we need it to and go over all those details. And then, uh, I'll, I'll be handling more, more of that. And then Michael will, We'll definitely be there to chat about maybe iconic scenes from the stories that might might be might be perfect to to display with pictures and kind of go back and forth so we get the best the best video that we can out of it. So uh, yeah, just just get in touch with us by email and if for some reason we're not answering uh you know sometimes these things fall through the cracks sometimes our email inboxes fill up uh make sure that uh if we're not answering um you can always get in touch with us on twitter or any of the other different different uh social media platforms that we lift list off at the end of every episode Okay, great. So yeah, so I'm very excited. Uh, we've seen samples of this art, the two artists work and they're very gifted. Um, so this is, these are going to be something special. Really excited. I agree. So, and I think you'll like it too. Oh, and I wanted to thank everybody who sent me birthday wishes. I was overwhelmed by the hundreds of messages I received. So just thank you so much. It was, came at a good time because I was, not feeling great after coming out of the hospital the second time. And just to read all those messages just really cheered me up and lifted my spirits. So thank you so much for remembering me and, um, and, and reaching out. I, I, it really meant a lot to me. So happy okay. birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Next year's the big one. It's 65. So I have to have to think, okay, what do I want to do for that birthday? Of course, we have no idea what condition the world's going to be in, but um, I'm right. starting to think <laughs> about that. So. Yeah. Anyway, all right. During the pandemic, speaking of which, uh, with public buildings such as theaters, cinemas, museums, concert halls, places of worship, and and similar buildings shut down, many of these institutions have been able to extend their missions to our homes virtually. A few months back, the Walt Disney Family Museum started a series of programs called Happily Ever After Hours Virtual Programs, similar to the types of in-house talks they regularly presented in their theater. Now, a few episodes back, I shared what I learned from the talks by Dave Goltz, Bob Gurr, and Don Hahn. In this episode, my theme is The Women of Disney, and I'm going to share what I learned through talks about women in Imagineering and one by Leslie Iwerks. 
The format of these virtual programs is that for the first half, the hosts from the museum ask questions. Then in the second half, the guests give their presentation, if they have one, and then field questions from the audience. Museum members, this is a big perk to be a member of the museum, can access the recordings of these events through a member's portal on the Walt Disney Family Museum website. And what's nice is on the... Uh, on the Facebook page of Walt Disney Family Museum, for a couple of days, you can watch these presentations for free. At least some of them. Um, some of them, mem- it's members, and we have we pay a stipend to watch them, and then they're available to us through the portal. But some of these are free to the public for forty-eight hours. But if you're a museum member, you can watch them at any time. So, um, which is very helpful for me. Because I'm not always available when they're they're on, but then I could just go in and listen to them at my leisure. Yeah. So, yeah. So I hope to keep doing that. We all of us, a whole bunch of us that are friends through the museum, we had a Zoom call just because we hadn't seen each other in so long, and we're all wishing that they record every single talk. We're hoping they'll put some of those talks from years ago on the members portal, but that's wishful thinking, I think. Anyway, first up is a presentation titled The Wonderful Women in Disney Imagineering. And this was... Oh, now, I also have to warn you that I am going to go through my um, my notebook that I'm so famous for. If you've watched the early D23 Expos we covered. Um, so anyway, so I'm going to try to get through my scrawling and you'll hear me turning pages and all that. This was part of the Walt Disney Family Museum Spotlight series. So in the 1950s, it said when Walt started planning Disneyland, uh, Walt was uh, sort of in, you know, we all know the story. Walt was in Griffith Park watching his daughters on the carousel, which is so sad. We learned that the owner of the Griffith Park carousel passed away at a very young age. Uh, just what a week ago, I think. Yeah. So yeah. So the future of the carousel is sort of up in the air. Although the um, Griffith Park, I don't know, council, whatever it is, they uh, have said that they are committed to keeping the carousel open. So let's hope that that happens. Anyway, so you know, so we know the story that he starts thinking about that there should be. Uh, a place, uh, a park for families. So first he wanted to build a Mickey Mouse park in Burbank. Now, thing is, some of this he started thinking of sort of before, uh, you know, the whole carousel story, but it makes a nice story. And I'm sure as he sat there, he was formulating his plans. So first he wanted to build a Mickey Mouse park in Burbank, but the Burbank City Council turned him down. So Walt ended up in Anaheim, and we've talked about this in previous episodes. So, um, you know, especially in the D- D- 60 Years of Disneyland series. And so he started Wet Enterprises, which that's now, you know, we call it Imagineering now. So the first woman hired at Wed was Harriet Burns. And we've had her daughter on the show, actually, one of our early episodes. And she started her career in the entertainment industry in Las Vegas. And then for you Southern Californians, long-time ones, you all probably remember Santa's Village. We had a version of it up here in Santa Cruz. But Santa's Village was beloved 
down in Southern California. And that's where you could see Santa Claus year round. And there were bakery shops and candy shops. And it was very whimsical. And there were all kinds of rides. I know the one we had up here, you rode, um, there was a spinning ride, but it was Christmas tree or it was Christmas tree. And you rode in the ornaments and you rode in, um, cars, you know, like little tractors and all that, that weren't on a, you know, on a rail and all that. It was, it was a delightful place up here. And I heard that the Southern California one was even larger. Well, she worked on Santa's village, designing it and designing the buildings and stuff. Then she was hired by Walt to paint the sets for the Mickey Mouse Club. And she created that, the, the well known, the iconic Mickey Mouse Clubhouse that had the half doors on it that they would always hang out of and talk. Well, Walt reassigned her to the model shop, and she was on a team of three to design the models for the New York World's Fair and Disneyland. And some of the models that she created was was the one for the Matterhorn bobsleds, uh, New Orleans Square, the Haunted Mansion, Sleeping Beauty Castle, the Storybook Land Canal Boats, and the Enchanted Tiki Room. She also, you know, we're both big Mary Poppins fans. Uh, she also crafted the audio animatronic Robin that sits on, you know, Mary's Mary Poppins' fingers wow. as she sings a spoonful of sugar. So, so that that was that was Harriet Burns, and she retired in 1998. She became a Disney legend in 2000, and, and she um, passed away in I believe 2008. And people said that she had a feisty wit and she, but, and was very kind. Uh, she was always the best dressed in the model shop. And that's how she, that she was on frequently when, you know, for Walt's television shows, when he would go behind the scenes in Imagineering, Harriet Burns was always in it because she was so well dressed. Uh, she had a room in her house dedicated to teddy bears. So, anyway, the next next woman in Imagining they talked about was Alice Davis. And her window on Main Street says, Seamstress to the Stars. And she created uh, the Disney costume procedures for the parks that are still in place. Um, she, interestingly, she started out as a lingerie designer. And she met her husband, Mark, when she attended uh, the Chouinard School of Art. And Mark was a teacher. Um, but they didn't start dating till she graduated. So she makes that very clear. That there was no <laughs> hanky-panky at all until they got married. So she's funny. Um, now, Mark Davis was an animator. And he was working on the forest scene um, with Briar Rose dancing in Sleeping Beauty. And he couldn't get the dress right. The movement of the dress. So he asked Alice to design a dress so he could see how it moves. And, you know, they always say that Walt never forgot things. And he just sort of put things away in the back of his mind and then pulled them out when he needed them. So Walt remembered this. And then um, years later, he had her design... 150 costumes for It's a Small World, and then the costumes for Pirates of the Caribbean. And Alice said that it was such a dichotomy to work on sweet children's costumes and then ones for dirty old men in the same day. <laughs> so, 
And um, she worked very closely with Mary Blair, who is the next woman of Imagineering that they talked about. Uh, Mary Blair, uh, she created concept art for Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Dumbo, Peter Pan, and the Three Caballeros. And if you get those little golden books on these, you'll see that they use her artwork in those books. Um, so in 1941, Walt is asked to do a goodwill tour to South America. Now, Mary Blair wasn't, I, now I got this information from another book I'm reading about, um, Queens in, in Disney Animation, I think is the title. Fascinating book. And, um, Mary, but Mary Blair's husband, Lee, was invited. So she went to Lee and said, Hey, can you, ask Walt if I can go on this trip. She really saw this as an opportunity and uh, to develop her style and her art. And Walt said, sure. So, um, so Mary Blair got to go on, you know, the, the, what became known as El Grupo, that trip. And this was a pivotal moment in her artistic development. And her artwork from this trip catches Walt I, and he promotes her to visual development for films to provide a sort of a cohesive vibe for a film um, to the animators. Uh, she worked on Once Upon a Time in Melody Time. Uh, she worked, did Johnny Fedora and Alice Blue Bonnet in Make Mine Music. And she also did the Big Ben scene in Peter Pan. Uh, she left the studio in 1953, and she did commercial art and children's books. And then uh, Walt called her back to work on It's a Small World with Alice Davis. And then she created murals for Disneyland's Tomorrowland, one of which is still there. And we've talked about the fate of the other one uh, in a previous episode. Um the the mural in the and of course then there's the mural in the Contemporary Resort Hotel in the Grand Canyon concert concert concourse which is <laughs> just so magnificent it is yeah I, I'll ride the I'll just go to the Contemporary Hotel just so I can get out and look at it oh, I, it's the one thing that I think it's uh, untouchable about that resort. If they mm-hmm. ever changed anything about it, they have to leave that mural or it will just be pure madness from from fans. <laughs> oh, I agree. I agree. They can't break it up and put it in a patio of a restaurant <laughs> as they did in Disneyland Paris with that other Tomorrowland mural. So, um, yeah. And they're saying that artists today are still inspired by her style. Um, and what really stood out to people about Mary Blair was that she had the courage to stand out from other artists and she took risks and Walt told her that she used colors he had never heard of. So that, um, that, that was the conclusion of that presentation. So, um, so what do you think, Craig? Um, It's, uh, it's it's always nice to hear more about the 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 ladies that were involved with mm-hmm. with Disney throughout the years. So I mean, it's like uh, fortunately for for us, it, well for you, I'm sure you've heard Alice Davis speak many times. But mm-hmm. uh, those first couple D23 expos that I was going to, she was still very active in them. So uh, I've even been been fortunate enough to 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 hear 
these stories come out of her her mouth firsthand. So uh, it's you know I, I know there's not a lot of groundbreaking stuff necessarily about them anymore, but it's it's also important because you never know when when that little kid out there hears about one of these these ladies for the first time and gets inspired to then become more. So I'm all about continuing their story on as much as possible. Oh, I agree. I took my granddaughter for her first trip to the Walt Disney Family Museum last year, and it was for a presentation on Mary Blair. And they, and also we went to their story time where they, I think they were the author and the artist for a pocket full of colors, um, which we read on story time about Mary Blair, uh, was, read and oh my gosh my granddaughter loved it she couldn't get enough of it uh, uh, uh you know learning about mary blair so yeah so i i agree she still inspires people today so so next is a talk from march's uh women's history month about the wonderful women in the early life of walt disney so um Anyway, so, and, and, you know, due to the closure of the museum, due to the pandemic, they made it a virtual um, interactive talk. So uh, now, of course, the very first woman in Walt's life was, of course, was his mother, Flora Disney. She was born Flora Call and in Steubenville, Ohio, and she was a grammar school teacher till she met and married Elias Disney in Kismet, Florida, which is 50 miles from Walt Disney World, although I guess it really doesn't exist anymore. So um, I guess you can go there, but I don't think there's anything there, if I'm correct. Craig. Yeah, I remember we looked that up after one episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could have been way back when, when we first started this, but I know I looked it up for sure. And yeah, it's uh, it's there's nothing to see. In, in the way of hoping that there's some sort of history left behind from from them it's it's just nothing at all yeah yeah well anyway they were married there on new year's day in 1888 so two you think there'd be a marker or something you know uh, anyway they moved to chicago illinois after after failing at growing oranges in florida i don't know i, I maybe that's why there's nothing in kismet so because it couldn't grow oranges. Yeah, if you can't grow oranges, then then what do you do back then in Florida? So I know. I, really? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so Walt and Flora, I, I mean I'm sorry, um Elias and Flora had five children. Walt was number four. Uh Flora helped build their home and she was in charge of finances, which was rare for a woman of this day. Now, Diane Disney Miller said that she was certain Walt inherited his warmth and sense of humor from Flora because Elias had none. <laughs> um, and, and Diane Disney Miller did meet Flora when she was very young. Another woman that was important in Walt's life was his Aunt Margaret, uh, or Maggie. Uh, Aunt Maggie, and she would bring Walt art supplies when the family lived in Marceline because they didn't really have money for art supplies. And she encouraged him to keep up his drawing. So in 1923, Walt is still struggling to find his big break. And so he moves to Hollywood and he doesn't find work. And he pulls out his Alice comedy reel and immediately brings it to, uh, 
Margaret Winkler. She was an immigrant from Hungary at age nine, and she was a secretary to Mr. Harry Warner, of course, of Warner Brothers Studios. Um, but he gave her other duties, including sort of the management of the Max Fleischer out of the Inkwell series, which was very, very popular. And the funny thing is they were still rerunning it on television, on, you know, on local children's shows when I was a boy, because, um, you know, networks back in those days, they ran, you know, local children's shows like we had Captain Satellite, Mayor Art, and Charlie and Humphrey. And they ran like a lot of the old classic cartoons. And uh, the Out of the Inkwell series was one of them. Um, she did such a good job with managing Out of the Inkwell that um, Harry Warner encouraged her to open her own distribution company. And this is in 1920. So um, she called it M.J. Winkler Productions, mainly because she didn't want people to be put off knowing that she was a woman. So keep in mind, 1920, different yeah. different time. <laughs> Her first project was Felix the Cat. And in a year, she made him a worldwide phenomenon. He was huge. Um, it, it, so big that in 1927... Uh, you know, Charles Lindbergh took a Felix the Cat doll on his famous transatlantic flight to Paris. So, Walt approaches her in 1923 with his Alice comedy reel, and Winkler sees potential in it, and also because she was a little worried she was going to lose the Felix the Cat contract. And so she signed a contract with Walt on October 16, 1923. But then she gets married to Charles Mintz, and he takes over the company. And, of course, we all know the story of Charles Mintz and Walt, don't we? Mm -hmm. So, Walt does have a contract that he can hire employees, including his first female employees. And that included Hazel Sewell, who was a blackener. And what she did is she would trace animators drawings onto a cell today it would be called inking and she became the first woman to start a major division in a film company because walt put her in charge of it but maybe more importantly she was the older sister of lillian bounds who had graduated from college and was looking for a job and she was living with hazel as she looked for a job and she helped Lillian get a job as the third blackener at the Disney Brothers Studios. And, but she advised Lillian not to vamp the boss. <laughs> well, Walt was so smitten with Lillian that he eventually got married her. So, anyway. Well, shortly after this is when Charles Mintz took over the M.J. Winkler Productions and signed a contract with Universal for Walt to create a series, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And, you know, eventually, as we know, Walt would have to walk away from this contract. So Walt creates a new character, a mouse. He wants to name it Mortimer. And, you know, as we, we know the story, Lillian, another important woman in Walt's life, didn't like it and thought it was too pompous. And she suggested Mickey. Now, Walt and Lillian were married for 41 years. And Lillian contributed whenever she could. And her opinion 
of his work was very important to Walt. So they had a very close marriage, and it was very much a partnership. So, um, again, very, very modern for that time. So, so that, that pretty much concludes that episode. Yeah, so. But that's a, I, I like this one because it, you know, I feel like we get bits and pieces of those women, but uh, you could always fill it in with a little bit more details. And so that's what I feel like what basically is what you describe. It's just a little bit extra and some, you know, there's a couple of things in there that I hadn't heard before that you just said. So uh, it's, it's definitely subjects that I feel like don't get their fair due in the history of Walt Disney. I mean, I agree. Uh, that's, but that tends to be the case with a lot of the, the history of any uh, historical figure. It it feels like even though the early years are transformative and very important, feels like sometimes just a lot of details get buried, and mm-hmm. it's it's very hard to sometimes make that through. So uh, important to keep those stories alive. Yeah, and they get lost to time as well, especially because as I'm learning and reading that book, The Queen's Fanimation, um, they did a lot of work and just, and never got the screen credit yeah. for it. So their work is lost to the ages. And luckily, you know, we have more books coming out about how women contributed to the studios and how they were treated. In the studio too, and um, so it's fascinating. That, and so I'm glad their stories are being told, and we're going to do what we can to, you know, share those stories as much as possible, since it's it's a critical part of Disney history. Exactly. So yeah, and it, and it tells a lot about Walt and the artists uh, when you hear the story of the women um, of Disney animation and Imagineering. So okay, well. Craig, what did you think of the Imagineering story series on Disney Plus? I enjoyed it like like many of the people probably listening right now. So I think I think for a lot of people out there listening, actually, if they're listening to this, then there's a chance that the Imagineering story has probably been their favorite thing to be on Disney Plus since mm-hmm. it it released. And while I I wouldn't go that far for me, there was a couple episodes that I found. A little bit cumbersome and uh, not not as tight as like that that very first episode. That very mm-hmm. first one on Disneyland was just uh, that was incredible, and I'll I'll rewatch that from time to time just just for the start of the story. But overall, I mean, yeah, it's it's an awesome documentary. It is. It's fantastic, and I I know I plan to rewatch it again. So. Um I really liked it. I think where they it wasn't as tight was the Shanghai episode for me, uh-huh. and um, and and I sort of get into that a little in the next talk because Leslie Iwerks had s- spoke in person at the Walt Disney Family Museum before the Imagineering story was released, and then she returned to the museum for a virtual talk after the series aired. So, and that's the one I'm going to share um, today. And of course, you know, Leslie Iwerks, you know, she, she does documentaries. Her Disney work includes The Hand Behind the Mouse, the Ub Iwerks story. Um, of course, Ub Iwerks is her grandfather. Um, the Pixar story 
and the Imagineering story on Disney+. And she is the CEO of the iWorks company, which is a multimedia company. And in the beginning, she showed a film about the background of a grandfather of iWorks. And her father is Don iWorks, who was an Imagineer. Um, her mother liked to ask questions at dinner for, for dinner discussion. And that led her to be a filmmaker and a director. Um, her father's hand, Don Iwerks hand, was the model for Lincoln's hand. And so they had a rubber hand lying around the house that was, you know, all part of creating the hand. And so she, when she was a girl, she would use it as a gag to pull pranks at school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the question was asked, what sparked her curiosity? And she said, growing up with two parents who were a lot of fun and having a dad who uh, was into technical things, uh, he would take her to the machine shop at the studio and uh, around the back lot. And she got a sense of facades of the building sets. Um, the shaggy DA was being filmed and Herbie was parked there. And she said it was just all so magical to her. So... Um, from the moment that she got the spark of interest in behind the scenes, um, the stories from her father and grandfather made her want to create films. And she set a goal in high school to go to the uh, University of California Film School. Uh, she said that she loves to read and to learn. She enjoyed reading the encyclopedia in high school. Can you imagine? <laughs> I I can't. <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, she likes to travel, meeting new people, and having new adventures. And she was into art and painting, and she had a window painting business in high school. And that's where she learned how to negotiate, determine what her time was worth, and to write up contracts. So, so she didn't waste any time. <laughs> no. no. Anyway, yeah. no, she made good use of her time and talent. In film school, she took classes to see what she wanted to do, and she never took a documentary film course, which was surprising. Uh, when she graduated, she wanted to direct narrative films, like every film school graduate wants to do. And she she also had a burning desire to tell the story of her grandfather of iWorks because she believed he never got the proper recognition and she wanted to tell it before everyone passed away. And that led to The Hand Behind the Mouse, which which is a wonderful documentary. Have you seen that, Craig? I don't believe I have seen that one. No. I know it's available. I, I don't know where, but I, I found it on one of the streaming services not long ago. I'll still look for it then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, now, when looking for the, the next question was when looking for a new story to tell, what are some of the things you look for? And she said, I look for things that have never been told, things that have a lot of contrast to them, unexpected stories that can be uh, uncovered and explored. She said, It's a lot of work, not always easy, and it can be stressful and dangerous. But she said, don't wait for things to come. Pull together what resources you can and do it. So I think that's a good advice for people, you know, youngsters and young adults who are starting out on their career. You have to, you can't wait for things to come to you. You have mm -hmm. to find them, 
pull things together and then go for it. So she then showed the Imagineering Story trailer. And she said it wasn't a series to begin with. It was commissioned as a 90-minute film by Marty Sklar. Uh, he asked how, he asked her to show the Pixar story at Imagineering. And afterwards, Marty asked her, when are you going to do the Imagineering story? She said, well, you tell me, I'd love to. So it became a five-year project to capture what was happening in all the parks and all the openings. And the last year was spent editing. And they had a six-hour cut for a 90-minute film. So her editor said, let's go long and see what happens. So they digitalized everything and created storylines pieced interview pods and sequences together, and then Leslie approached Disney about making it a series. Now, Bob Weiss approved it, and then it had to go through five different meetings up to Bob Iger to get it on Disney+. Plus. Very different from the old days when you just went to Walt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He approved it. She said it was so much fun to make... um, I thought of you, Craig, when she said this. Who gets paid to ride attractions and take POV shots? I thought of you immediately. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of us out there who do, but uh, <laughs> not not a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she said she loved the interviews. Um, talking to her dad, she made five trips to Shanghai, uh, you know, from dirt to opening, and she loved going inside the Matterhorn with Bob Gurr. So she said that there were fine lines that they were balancing, and, and it was like respecting the Imagineer and the jewel they were giving them of going behind the scenes and giving the fans who know this better than they did something fresh and new that's something we do on this show so we know most of the people listening to us are big disney fans and you know i always am trying to find new material so that it's not you know the same stories you've all heard before exactly Um, yeah the main character for the imaginary story was walt and after he passes, you continue to hear his voice as sort of an, an omniscious, as omniscious and present. Um, everyone in Imagineering to this day, she says, stand on the shoulders of Walt Disney. And that the people at Disney still respect the founder, which she found inspiring. And I was very happy to hear that because there are times with the decisions they make, that I really wonder if they remember their founder and his principles. So this made me very happy to hear. Yeah. So she said she wants to know who coined the phrase, the happiest place on earth, because she said it's a brilliant brand logo and it's a high bar to fill. Does no one know where that comes from? I'm sure someone does. (laughs) I haven't looked into it, but... um, I'm sure. I, I'm sure. It, I was going to say, sure it's I, documented. Like, I I can't pull that fact off the top of my head. So, um, I, it wouldn't I, surprise me if it was Walt. So that's what I'm going to pretend. Yeah, you know, yeah. Hope yeah. for that. I'll have to look into that someday. Yeah. 
Now, her father, like, you know, Don Iwerks, he liked going to work because it felt like a family. And she feels it's still that way today because everyone is collaborative and non-competitive. Again, that surprised me too. Yeah. So now in the Q and A, one of the listeners, one of the guests asked, what was one of the funniest moments in filming the Imagineering story? And she said they flew out Susan Hoost, who had been one of the mermaids in Disneyland's Submarine Lagoon. And she was so charming, but didn't make the cut. She talked about swimming in 50 degree water, um, how their hair turned green. Uh, they thought they'd get sucked in by the submarine propellers. And so their safety protocol for this was to swim away. So I thought, well, that's simple and to the point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, they found footage of her being zipped up in her mermaid costume. And she said it was so 50s because it felt like... But it felt like it was going astray from the main Imagineering story. She said it was so cute, and she hopes it can be included if they ever do more episodes. And I thought, okay, I, I'm I'm hoping that she um she's hinting that there might be a season two. I don't know. Uh, there, I mean, I know, I know they probably have enough. If you said the first cut was six hours for a 90-minute movie, I mean, that was however many episodes, eight episodes, I think. I think, yeah. It ended up being so, and they were all decent-sized episodes. So I'm sure that that they could even do a short season with just what's left over on the cutting room floor right now, whether or not it makes sense in the grand scheme of the the story that's that's another question to be had but uh, listen i would even take this stuff in little chunks like kind of like what one day at disney did where they have the the main documentary that only includes six people and then uh releasing the entire rest of the batch that they went out and filmed in little bits like if that's mm-hmm. how we can get the rest of the footage from the imagineering story and continue on and make it easier to continually update this story as it goes on, then I'm willing to see it from a different, different perspective, maybe a more short form perspective. Yeah. yeah that, well, she said something that I found very exciting. She said, there are lots of things she would like to document with the Disney company, but can't talk about it. She loves animation and audio animatronics. And she is aware with the research that they've done, that there are other things they can tap into for Disney Plus. So I am really hoping yeah. that she's saying there is more to come from I, her. I, I have a feeling that is the case. And, you know, it. It's it, she has to enjoy what she's doing in order to be putting out such great, you know, such high quality content there. So uh, as long as, as long as she doesn't lose the passion for what she's doing, then then I think we're all in for a treat. Me too. Me too. I'm looking forward to it. And, and that is what I learned about the wonderful women of Disney through the Walt Disney Family Museum's Happily Ever Hours virtual programs. And these programs are continuing, and I will share more in future episodes, and even some from uh, the in-house episodes when, before the pandemic. 
for more information about these and other events, check out the Walt Disney Family Museum's Facebook and Twitter pages and their websites, which is just WaltDisney.org. You can also become a museum member and support their mission of sharing Walt's story and legacy. And Craig will have the links in our show notes so you can learn more about the museum and about Walt. They have uh, on their website, they have some, um, you know, they have the, a virtual tour of the museum. They have stories about Walt and all that. So it's, it's really interesting. If you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it. But now it's time to see what happened this week in Disney history. Okay, Craig, I like how uh, when I'm not here, you still share um, bits of Disney history on, on when we pull from the archives. I appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. I do my best. <laughs> okay, well, we're starting out with August 23rd. On August 23rd, 1986, the United States Senate passed a bill, Public Law 99-391, designating December 5th, 1986 as a recognition day for which Disney luminary? I would hope it's for Walt Disney. You're right. They <laughs> called it Walt Disney Recognition Day. So, there you go. Off to a good start. Okay, August 24th. Voice artist, writer, and actor Hal Smith who is the second voice of Goofy, was born in Petoskey, Michigan on August 24th, 1916. His many Disney voice credits include Philippe the Horse in Beauty and the Beast, Owl in the, in the many of the Winnie the Pooh shorts and feature films, Goofy in countless TV cartoons, and St. Peter in the series Darkwing Duck. However, most of us will recognize him from his role in a classic television series. What role in TV show is Hal Smith probably best known for? Mm. I am not positive on this one. This surprised I, I had learned this a few years back, and it just surprises me. He is Otis Campbell on The Andy Griffith Show, The Town Drunk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I, and, I would never put that all together. But no. yeah, I just started rewatching the Andy Griffith show on, I think it's Amazon Prime, when I just, you know, want something cheerful and happy for just a few minutes. Uh, I started watching that. It's great fun. Oh, yeah. so, I but, haven't watched an episode in years, but I mean, it was always on in our house growing up. Yeah. Yeah, when I was, um, when I had to get infusions after my other surgery, um, they, they, they put on, and, and I had to sit there for a very long time. They put on, um, uh, they had a DVD of the Andy Griffith show, so they put it on for me, so I had something to watch. <laughs> anyway, um, Hal Smith, as it turns out, was one of the most sought-after voice actors in the 1960s. There was this television show when I was a little boy on Sundays called Davy and Goliath, and it was a stop-action um, thing. I think it's on DVD. I think I've seen it. And and there was it was a religious-based program, Christian-based program, so there was always a morality story at the end. But the weird thing is it was stop-motion, but they, like, animated the features of the puppets but he was the voice of goliath the dog davy was the little boy that 
was the master Goliath, and that surprised me. Yeah, so. I guess I can kind of hear the goofy side to that, the like, ooh, I'm doing a terrible yeah. one of it, but yeah, I can definitely, I can, I can match those two together a little bit. Yeah. Well, okay, August 25th. What celebrated its official grand opening at Disneyland on August 25th, 1956, with many Hollywood stars and celebrities attending the festivities? Hmm. I'm going to guess on this one. I'm going to say Disneyland Hotel. You're absolutely right. Although it had been open since October 5th, 1955. I always like to find out who the celebrity guests were. And they included Arklink Letter, of course. William Bendix, who was an actor, Alan Ladd, Yvonne DiCarlo, we know her best, which is sad. We know her best as Lillian Munster in the Munsters, but um, that's not sad. She was <laughs> she was just a, a a wonderful actress in her younger days. Jean Crane, Anaheim Mayor Charles Pearson, and of course Walt Disney. Okay, August twenty sixth. The first woman to receive screen credit as an animator at the Walt Disney Studio passed away in Foster City, California on August 26, 1990. She was first hired in 1938 and assigned to the story department. Her stunning sketches caught the eye of Walt Disney, who moved her to the animation department. She was named a Disney legend in 2000. What is her name? I'm not positive on this one. We didn't talk about her. <laughs> no, we, we've. I think we may have mentioned her off and on, um, but um, it's Retta Scott. Okay. okay. And Miss um, Scott's Bambi credits included the vicious hunting dogs in the sequence where the dogs chase Feline and fight with Bambi. She also contributed to Fantasia, Dumbo, and the Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. And she appeared on screen in a Walt Disney live-action studio tour film, The Reluctant Dragon. She was laid off from the studio during the um, periodic studio downsizing in late 1941, which was partially as a result of the Disney animator's strike in the summer of 41. But she was rehired by the Walt Disney Studio in 1942 to once again work in the story department. And from that book I'm reading, that's what she really loved, was the dynamics of the story department. But she left Disney in 1946, partially because the studio, the story department just wasn't what it had been. And she moved to the East Coast where she continued to freelance, illustrating Disney publications such as the Big Golden Book Edition of Walt Disney Cinderella. And she did a number of the um, little golden books um, for Disney. So, okay. August, so I bring that up because, again, she's a name that should be remembered by all of us. August 27th, which Walt Disney Studio film had a lavish world premiere at Groman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood on August 27th, 1964? I believe this would be Mary Poppins. You are absolutely right. The comedy musical stars Julie Andrews, who will win an Academy Award for Best Actress and Dick Van Dyke. The film will also win Academy Awards for Best Film Editing, Best Original Score, Best Song, and Best Visual Effect. And some of Hollywood's biggest stars, again, I love these names, like Angie Dickinson, George Hamilton, Angela Lansbury, Carl Reiner, and Debbie Reynolds are in attendance. 
After the screening and a five-minute standing ovation, the audience moved on to an elegant party hosted by the Technicolor Corporation. And of course, P.L. Travers was there too. So, so now we all have to rewatch Saving Mr. Banks, yes. even though it is not historically accurate. So, but it's a nice film. I love that film. It's entertaining. Yeah. Okay, August 28th. The first audio animatronic figure to walk freely and interact with park guests is introduced at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles on August 28th, 2003. What is the name given to this character? That's Lucky the Dinosaur, and I'm looking at That's... him right now. Oh, really? Why? Did he walk over to your house? I uh, I'm, I have a pin of Lucky the Dinosaur. Mm. I won't say where I acquired it. and. How I, I know did, where but, you've acquired it. <laughs> yeah, but I do have the pen right in front of me that I have at my desk. So I'm always looking at Lucky. Yeah. When I met Lucky, I was amazed at the size. And Lucky drew his autograph for me, which was a shamrock. Mm. Yep. He gave it to me. Yep. It was very cool. All righty. Okay, August 29th. Doug Parks of Gotha, Florida, passed away at the age of 60 on August 29, 2010. An entertainment cast member for 39 years, he began working at Walt Disney World when the park debuted in 1971. What role is he best known for? I do not know this. Okay. Doug Parks is widely believed to be the very first person to portray Mickey Mouse at Walt Disney World. Oh. It was Parks who stood by Roy O. Disney's side at the formal dedication of the Magic Kingdom on October 25th, 1971. Standing four feet seven inches, Parks was the perfect size to portray Mickey Mouse. So an- another good name to remember. That is, yeah. I'd, I've never never heard that one before. Yeah. So, Well, Craig, you did very well. Well, if all goes as planned, I'm hoping, although you never know because things pop up that's unexpected. Our next episode will begin our discussion about the Disneyland Television Man in Space episodes. So if you haven't watched them on Disney+, Plus, you have another week. Or so. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just as a reminder, check out the uh, Walt Disney Family Museum on social media. On Twitter, they're at WDF Museum. On Facebook, they're the Walt Disney Family Museum. Of course, you can go to their website, www.waltdisney.org. So. so, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on the random shows I'm on on the Disunplugged Podcast Network, and then always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael? You can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. The one with the Connecting with Walt banner is the best one. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter and send us messages at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes. 
or at disunplug.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings and possible so that other, other lovers of Disney history can discover us and join the Connecting with Walt family. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.